All right. Well, hey, welcome. Glad to have you here today worshiping with us. Whether you're online or in the room, it's good to be together. My name is Brian Asker. I'm one of the pastors here. And today, we get to talk about something that almost everybody in the world does. Growing up, my family did it. We did it often at mealtimes. We did it right before we went to bed. And maybe you're familiar with one of the ways that we would do this. At mealtime, we would do this with one of the most common ways, which is the common table prayer. We knew it as, come Lord Jesus, be our guests, let these gifts to us be blessed. That's the version that we said. I found out there's uh, lots of different versions of that. And then bedtime, we did another common prayer. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to take. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. These are common things. And Pew Research has shown us that 77% of people pray regularly. And the remaining 23%, the category that they have for those people is seldom slash never, which to me says most people have done this. They don't even have a category of never on its own. It's seldom slash never. Most people are praying at some point. I know atheists who pray or who have prayed just in case there's a God out there. I've talked to students, and it's one of the reasons why they do believe or they don't believe in God. Maybe they saw an answer to prayer, and so they believe wholeheartedly that there is a God. Or maybe they didn't see an answer to prayer, and that's why they don't believe. Well, for most of us, we're praying and we're asking God for things, often for ourselves and our family, our friends. We're praying for our problems and our difficulties. And Jesus is going to tell us, I actually want you to pray for those things. But we're also going to find out in today's passage that prayer is about so much more than that. So if you want to open your Bible to Matthew chapter 6, we're going to be in verses 7 through 15 today. This sermon today is part of our broader sermon series that we're doing called Unexpected. And it's Jesus' greatest teaching. It comes from what we call the Sermon on the Mount. And it's all about how to be a kingdom citizen. Or, put another way, it's, it's how to be a member of the family of God. How do we do that? And in it, he's challenged us about our perception about who can be in the kingdom of God, who's included in the kingdom of God. He challenges members to be growing in maturity, particularly in how we relate to one another. That's what the end of chapter 5 was all about. How do we relate to one another? How do we love others? And in this section, chapter 6, we're looking at how do we relate to God. And so it's right for us to think, if we're relating to God, how do we pray? That's one of the ways that we relate to God. So he begins by saying, And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. 
So in this section, Jesus is setting the context for prayer. And he's identifying that Gentiles often would work themselves up into this frenzy to try to get their God's attention because in their mind, gods were fickle. And they wanted to sort of appease them and, and convince them that, that what they were asking for was worth it, worth their time and energy. But you see, Jesus is saying in contrast to that, God actually wants to answer our prayers. In fact, he knows what you need before you even ask it. God loves us. He wants us to ask him for the things that we need, and we can approach God with confidence in prayer. And that's entirely foreign to most people, especially the pagans. So with that, he begins to teach us how to prayer, pray. He says, Our Father in heaven, and this first line sets the tone for the whole rest of the prayer. See, Jesus often starts his prayers with this. He says, Father. And when he's saying that, he's recognizing the relationship that he has with God the Father, that he is the Son and God the Father is his Father. And by saying, Our Father, and by just the very fact that he's teaching us how to pray, he's inviting us into that same sort of family, familiar, familial relationship with God the Father. When we pray, we are part of the family. We can call God Father. We're invited into that kind of a relationship. We are God's children. Now, a note about this. This does not mean that God is male. In fact, other scriptures explicitly talk about God as a mother. And when taken together, we see that God is the perfect parent. So he is intentional in using the word father because in the Jewish culture and the people who would have been listening, they would have thought about the father in two specific ways that we can also think about that today. One is that the father was responsible for providing for the family. That was really important back then. And so we too can look to God as our provider. And the second was this. A father loved his children. He wanted to give them what they wanted. And so we too can remember that God has this relationship with us and he wants to invite us into this family conversation where we can ask for what we want. I saw my... Uh, brother yesterday on FaceTime and he was talking to his kids and they pulled out their Christmas list and they had, you know, this collage of things that they wanted for Christmas. That's the sort of image that we want to have in mind when we're coming to Jesus. That we can bring our requests to our Father and you better believe my brother wants to give them those things. Now, I don't know how many of those things on the list they're going to get, <laughs> but he wants to give them those things. It's part of a fun uh, exercise that we have in this culture. So Jesus is inviting us into this family conversation. And I do want to say this. Some of you may not have a good relationship with your father. And I'm sad. And that may reflect in the ways that you think about Jesus or about God. Think of God in the ways that you wish that he was, the way that you wish your father was. 
That's the way that God wants us to think of this. He wants to be responsible for providing for us. He wants to give us the good things that we want. So we're reminded in this first line that God loves us, that we are his children, and that he wants to give us the things that we need. So the rest of the Lord's Prayer is broken down into two sections. There are the we prayers, or we petitions, and the you petitions. So the you petitions are those that are directed at God, and the we petitions are those that are for the needs of others. So he begins with the you petitions. He says, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So this first section is that directed at God. These are things, God, would you do? I want you to do. It's a request for God to do the things that would bring honor to his name. Hallowed be your name. And if we think about that, if we're in the family, if you're in your family, you want honor to be brought to your family name. And if we're in the family, we want honor to be brought to God's name. The second request is much like the first request. God, would your kingdom come? And that idea of kingdom is this idea of anywhere the king has his way is where the kingdom is. So for the kingdom of God, it's anywhere that God has his way. That's where the kingdom of God exists. And so we want God's kingdom to expand these good things that we know about God. We want those to be true all over the place. And it's marked by things like love for others, peace, and humility that we've been talking about. And I like the way Dallas Willard put it, the kingdom of God is the society of God's people flourishing in this world under Christ as the leader. And that's what we're praying for. We're praying that God's name would be hallowed, that his kingdom would come, that his will would be done. And that third piece is just one more variation on that same thing. If the first suggests sort of these systemic things or these social issues, things like racism and sexism and all the other isms in the world, the second suggests that, well, sorry, suggests that we get rid of those things. If the, the second then would be that we would live into the redemptive moral intent that God has for his people so that we would live a holy life. So these petitions are directed at God and it sort of gets at our gospel ache. These are the things that we long for in the world with Jesus, with God, and so the question for us is, as we pray, as we think about the world that we live in today, are these the things that we long to see? Are these the things that we pray for? Do we pray for these things to come true? Or are all of our prayers focused on ourselves and others? The things that we need, the difficulties that we have. And what would it look like for us to have our prayers include these prayers for God's kingdom to come? and to reorder our priorities around what God wants to happen in this world. Well, the second half of the prayer switches over to the we petitions, the things that we pray for ourselves and for others. So he says, give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So this is the request that we make of God for ourselves and others. And that first one, that request for bread, probably Jesus has in mind our daily provisions, the things that we need in our lives, food, water, shelter. And it's likely 
that the listeners to this early prayer probably didn't have any pantries. They probably didn't have any refrigerators. And so they needed their food every day. And you know, what I found interesting in the Pew research about prayer is that there's a direct correlation or inverse correlation, how does that work, where the more money we have, the less likely we are to pray. And I thought, wow, that really stings. And the other thing in this section that I think is significant is that daily peace. I think it suggests the kind of frequency that we want to be talking with God with. That we would regularly ask God for the things that we need. But it's so easy to depend on ourselves instead of God. So don't take this the wrong way. But in some ways, I have been grateful for the pandemic. Not because of what it's done to us, but because it has brought me to a place where I feel like I need God. And if this church plant in particular is going to survive or thrive, we need God. They tell me that church planting is difficult when you're not in a pandemic. <laughs> We're in the midst of a pandemic, people. We need God. I feel like I need God every day. And I hope that I never, ever lose that sense of urgency, that sense of needing God to show up every day. And I wonder what it would look like for us to live in such a way that we were utterly dependent on Jesus and we brought all that we needed to him and asked him for it and trusted him for it. Well, the second request that he goes on in the we section is the request for forgiveness. And this comes with a commentary, helpful. In verses 14 and 15, we actually get a commentary from Matthew on this verse, verse 12. So let's look at that. It says, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Now, this is fairly straightforward. I don't think there's a lot of question about what this is saying. We're to forgive others. And if we don't forgive others, God's not going to forgive us. I don't think there's a lot of wiggle room around with this. It kind of rubs against us, doesn't it? Where's the grace? Other texts indicate the same thing. There's no way around this. So how do we understand this in the context of grace? Well, I found Scott McKnight's work on this helpful, so I'm going to read this to you. I forgot to put it up on the screen for you, so you can listen along if you want. You can ask me for it later. There's an order to forgiveness that Jesus is suggesting. And the first thing is this. God has graciously forgiven us, and he adds, of much greater sins. Therefore, number two, we are to forgive others to extend God's grace. So God has graciously forgiven us, therefore we are to forgive others. If we don't forgive others, we show that we are not forgiven. 
So when we can't forgive others, we show that we have not experienced forgiveness ourselves. So forgiven people, forgive other people, number four. And number five, but our forgiveness does not earn God's forgiveness. So what does this mean for us? We shouldn't try to earn God's forgiveness. That's not what we're trying to do. But we should see the difficulty of it. Forgiving other people is really hard, which is why Jesus is inviting us to pray and ask him for the help. And we also want to see the utter importance of this. This is so important that Matthew adds a commentary to it. And we need to ask God to help us with forgiveness because it's really hard work. Naturally, I don't want to forgive you when you, make some, when you do something against me. That's why I need to ask God for his help. Well, the final request is about God's protection and rescuing us from temptation. And that word for temptation could also be trial or a test because God cannot lead us into evil. That's not part of who he is. So we know that God's not leading us into evil, but he will test us. So there's a couple ways to think about this. Some people think about this in terms of this could be everyday trials and temptations that we face, personal holiness things, things that we're facing, difficulties that we're facing, challenges, and we pray to God for those things. Some people think this could be that we need to ask God for the broader cosmic sort of temptations in life, the great life uh, in trial. My sense is that it's probably a little bit of both. Jesus is inviting us into both the daily needs of getting away from temptation and our cosmic grand life of getting away from the great temptation. So we can see here today that prayer is about so much more than asking God to deal with our problems. Prayer is our act of humble dependence on God. And as I thought about that this week, I ran across this quote, which I do have on the screen, that I thought was super helpful. If you see prayer merely as a means of taking some level of control of your life and the world, as a means of leverage, then you will inevitably be troubled by what appears to be unanswered prayers. But if you see prayer primarily as an ongoing conversation with God, then you'll realize there is no such thing as an unanswered prayer. Isn't that really helpful? The Lord's Prayer reminds us that we are not God, but we are part of the family of God. And that's good news because then we can be the humble children who are dependent on him. We can join God in longing for the kingdom of God, for God's good name to be known here on earth. We can long for our family name, God's name, to be glorified here on earth. The second thing I think the Lord's Prayer reminds us is that we're part of the problem. We sin. We need forgiveness from others. We're a work in progress. But we can be forgiven and we can be part of the solution. 
we can bring forgiveness to other people and spread that kind of love in the world. So this is how we can pray. This is how we bring our requests to God. We join the family of God and we ask God for these sorts of things. We pray to God for these things. We pray for God's name to be good in the world. So how can we do this? I think we can literally recite the Lord's Prayer. Sandy's grandparents recited the Lord's Prayer every night before bed, their entire married lives. And in a minute, we're going to have John come up and lead us in a prayer. We're actually going to sing the Lord's Prayer. We do this in our family sometimes. Uh, We have a song that we sing the Lord's Prayer. I think we can also use it as a model of prayer. So we can go line by line through each of the Lord's Prayer lines, and we can use that as we expand out praying for those sorts of things, the things that we are reminded of in the Lord's Prayer. So movements are often built on prayer. Where you see God's people praying, you see God moving. Put another way. I can think about the Haystack revival prayer movement that started the modern missionary movement yay many years ago. And I imagine if we want to start a movement, which is part of the reason why Crossview wanted to plant Crossview Rosa Parks in the first place, that we need to be people of prayer. And what would it look like if we committed to regularly depending on God for all that we need? Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for teaching us how to pray. Lord, we need you. We just can't do this on our own, especially as we think about the fact that we are part of a pandemic right now. We need your help. Lord, would your kingdom come and would your will be done? We want your name to be honored on earth as it is in heaven. Help us to be a church that prays. Amen.